Hello everybody and welcome to the Leaders in Supply Chain podcast. I'm your host, Radu Palamariu, Global Logistics and Supply Chain Practice Head for Morgan Phillips Executive Search. Um, this is episode three and together with us today we will have as guest Paul Bradley, Chairman and CEO of Caprica International. In this episode we will cover a lot of interesting topics from technology to the rise of artificial intelligence um, in logistics to blockchain and other very interesting topics. Stay tuned, and without further ado, here is episode three. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our third episode of Leaders in Supply Chain and Logistics podcast. We are happy to have together with us today Paul Bradley, Chairman and CEO of Caprica International. Paul is a long-serving supply chain professional, having worked for many years for large logistics companies around the world, including Lian Fang and Arshia in, in India, uh, as well as shipping lines like NYK, APL, um, Paul is an entrepreneur, an industry influencer, and a globetrotter. He sits on the board of Supply Chain Asia, is an independent director of Openport, um, serves on the Executive Leadership Council for the Thunderbird Business School, is a CEO mentor to several SMEs and tech startups, and a very interesting guy. So Paul, welcome, and it's a pleasure to have you here. Thanks, Radu. Pleasure to be here. Um, and also... For our listeners, a very interesting uh, fact about Paul is that he was selected by the World Economic Forum as one of the 40 new Asian leaders, which is, uh, let's say, a very select club, as well as he, he was part of the B20 Task Force, uh, which is actually uh, part of the G20 Heads of State uh, Summit that was held in Germany earlier this year. So definitely... Uh, the one uh, one person that I know in that position, so Paul, even further, happy to have you with us here today. Um, so for today, we'll have, as usually, a series, series of questions. So broadly, first uh, and foremost, we'll talk about industry. Secondly, we'll talk about talent and skills uh, questions. And thirdly, we'll talk about a few uh, personal advice that Paul might share with our listeners. <coughs> so Paul, to, to deep dive, you are a man of incredibly diverse background. How would you introduce yourself in two minutes to people? Well, I guess the first thing is our industry is a humbling experience and we're all learning throughout our career. Uh, so I'm still at the learning stage of an infinite uh, knowledge experience. Um, interestingly, I started in campaigns and politics when I was young, already in high school and college. I spent a little bit of time in politics uh, at a young age, I worked in the U.S. Senate and British House of Commons. And then I loved international business and international trade. So after graduate school, when I got my MBA at Thunderbird in global management, I decided logistics and shipping was a way of connecting the whole world, right? Money connects the world, and so does the physical flow of goods. Hmm. So I entered APL's management training program in California, Seattle, New York, and just had a tremendous learning experience about the shipping industry, hands-on, touching everything. And then you realize how important every role of everyone in the organization is, right? From lashing the containers, to planning the trains, to doing the bills of lading. So for me, that was an invaluable way to enter the industry, to appreciate every step by having to do it even loading containers and changing chassis tires. Yeah. And then uh, I went strategic, and, and then uh, from APL, I set up Texas for NYK, came to Asia heading a Far East Management Center out of Hong Kong, 
And in those days, we had a cartel called ANERA, N-T-W-R-A. And the nine main shipping lines, we would actually meet together in Hong Kong, kind of like at a movie, and we would uh, determine the rates for all the products going in both directions of the Pacific. So just a phenomenal way to learn. And being in Asia, seeing China, ASEAN. Uh, and then I came to Singapore, uh, set up a JV for a BDP and Javi group. Uh, and then one of the great experiences of my life was working for Dr. Victor Fung and the Lian Fung group, um, putting together the first 4PL model, uh, running a few businesses there, and, and I just learned so much. He's an incredible uh, human being and a great mentor in our industry. So it was one of the life-changing experiences for me. Um, and then I went to India with Mr. Ajay Mittal, and we started uh, logistics parks, free trade warehousing zone, railroad, and a technology company, and we took it public on the Bombay Stock Exchange. So I've been really blessed to... Uh, come out to Asia with a Japanese experience, a U.S. JV, uh, working for a mentor and, and an amazing human being, uh, Dr. Victor Fong, and then with Mr. Mittal giving me a chance to learn about India during this really informative stage of their economic change. And, and so it, it's just a constant learning experience. And from that, I came back and I, and I realized... The entire supply chain is going to be disrupted, just like every business. So I've also been spending more time now helping evolve SMEs and startups, not only to help them build the future, but actually to learn from them. Yeah. So I, I would say this whole experience is a constant learning curve. Mm. And the more I learn, the more I realize there's so much more to experience. Yeah. Super. Well, thanks. Yeah. Thanks a lot for that. Um, and, you know, to, to, to kind of carry on a question that uh, in terms of the future, I mean, uh, related to the future, we talk about supply chain 4.0, 3.0, depends, you know, what's the supply chain of the future to you? <clears throat> That's a, a good question. I guess one of my frustrations in our industry is that we're still talking about a supply chain. I think the supply chain phrase is something from 10, 12 years ago, if not further, you know, and then we evolved to the demand chain, which Dell started and uh, many other companies followed and even Walmart. Uh, and then we've, we've been evolving already beyond demand chain into what I call knowledge network orchestration and dynamic value network. So when you look at Amazon, they're already, you know, they're already using big data, advanced algorithms. They're starting to introduce early stage AI. Um, that is a completely different business model. They already know what you're going to buy before you go to the computer to think about buying it. You know, the, the way that distribution network has evolved, uh, and that's just one example. What is iTunes? It's a type of supply chain uh, in a value, value network because... They have over a million programmers around the world developing products for them for free. But any of those uh, applications that get to enter the iTunes network, they take 20 to 30%. So these are all the new models that are rapidly evolving. And, and I think the industry is still moving too slow in terms of forwarding and letters of credit and, and, and just monitoring and tracking products. And 
In reality, the next 10 years will be the largest economic transformation in the history of the world because of AI, robotics, and IoT. Um, one of the things I learned over the last 10 months being part of the B20 task force uh, on employment and education, which included supply chain and entrepreneurship it, 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 for some interesting reason. Yeah. And we, we just realized the speed of this technology is faster than anyone is, is imagining. And, and, and therefore, every business leader at every level has to change their expectations. And I believe our supply chain industry is, is changing very fast. So the first stage where we are now is, you know, uh, advanced algorithms. And we're looking at the first stage of big data. And we're digitizing the supply chain. So this is already changing everything. Yeah. And you can have fixed and virtual manufacturing. Lee and Fong manufactures from 20,000 factories without owning them. Uh, you can have fixed and virtual assets. You can own some warehouses. You can, you can take space from your competitors as long as they're visible through IT. And, and then we're moving to the second stage where AI, Internet of Things, and robotics really come into play. And, and that's just going to start... And it's going to move very rapidly, I believe. And then again, Amazon is a great example of, of that transformation and others. And, and then what is the third stage? I think that will be fully integrated artificial intelligence and the blockchain going from the ledger, the virtual ledger structure uh, linked to uh, artificial intelligence is going to completely disrupt and redefine the industry dramatically beyond anyone's expectations. And I am an optimist. I believe all this will happen in the next eight to 10 years. Yeah. So are we really prepared for it as an industry? How, how do we change the leaders of these companies to think beyond freight forwarding, beyond shipping? And, and then how do we groom the next generation of talent to really be prepared for this kind of exciting future that's gonna happen in the next decade. Yeah. No, excellent. Excellent questions and excellent sharing and a very good structure of the, of the stages. And I could not agree more with you that, yeah, indeed, the, the, the transformation that we are already witnessing and the transformation that we will witness is, is probably unparalleled to anything that we have seen so far, even as humanity, if you want to put it. So the, the, the speed through which things are happening is definitely um, very, very fast. Um, it always takes time, but it takes a lot shorter than it used to. But let's just look around at a couple basic things from the mm. old economy, right? Freight forwarding, doing a bill of lading, this can already be automated with new technology. But if I don't do the bill of lading, then what kind, how do I get to build the spreads on freight? Yeah. And if I do the freight, then I get to touch the warehousing, then I get to touch the trucking. Yeah. But today the bill of lading can be automated with new disruptive technology. The shipping rates are being opened up with, with, with companies that are exposing that, taking out uh, that component. The warehousing is, is much more transparent on costs and, and product visibility. And then other companies, so you, you know, then you have other companies like Openport and others that are attacking the, the trucking space. So already every part of the traditional uh, chain. supply chain mm -hmm. is under attack by small aggressive startups. Mm -hmm. And then even the banks that, that have made 
billions on letters of credit. That is all automated already. That is going to come under huge risk in the next few years. And ultimately, that will become fully integrated through blockchain as well. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and you know, you mentioned blockchain a few times. Actually, there was a very good question. I think it's, it's on a lot of people's in supply chain lips, you know, blockchain. David Weaver, one of our listeners, and, and, uh, and uh, he had a question around uh, blockchain. He actually asked, you know, blockchain, is it hype or real value? If real value, when will we see widespread adoption into everyday processes? So maybe we deep dive a little bit further into it. Well, I think it's fair to say all of us are going through a really steep learning curve to figure this out because this is all new technology that just came out of nowhere. I'm mentoring two startups right now and we're actually looking at an ICO instead of an IPO which basically is raising money through the cryptocurrency structure. Wow. All right. I didn't know and, and I didn't know what it was eight weeks ago, and then I have to read up on it because we're actually thinking of executing it with a couple of the startups. So an ICO is a cryptocurrency uh, way of raising funds instead of the traditional method, and it, and it disintermediates the investment banks. Wow. So... so We've seen Bitcoin go to 2000 then down to 1500 and now over $4,000 all in the last six weeks with projections that it could go uh, way beyond that over the next few years. There are about 4,000 cryptocurrencies already. Uh, so, you know, we really just are trying to figure out what it means. And then you have Ethereum, which is basically... Uh, creating a cryptocurrency, but it actually has validation points. Yeah. And you can see validation points touches LCs and everything else. So I don't think any of us can define when blockchain will really move across our industry. Uh, but first, it's moving through the finance and banking industry at dramatic speed. That will validate the process, and then it will break out into other industries, including logistics and supply chain, uh, with the virtual ledgers and the ability to monitor the products as they move across. Absolutely. So there are already uh, three or four experiments in that space. I know IBM's doing one with several companies. Maersk is doing this. Walmart is already playing with it. Um, but, but as soon as those are tested and validated, uh, again, the disruption will move across. So I, I'm guessing uh, it's starting now, it will get traction in about three years, and it will be very, very aggressively positioned across the industry in about five to eight years, would be my guess. But it's all guesswork because it's so evolving and dynamic. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I was, I mean, I, it was all over the news, uh, the breakthroughs and the new partnerships that IBM is, is really leading the way at the moment. Um, and they have Watson for AI as and well. And they have Watson and they're doing a lot of good things. And I think, you know, Maersk obviously is doing a, a, a lot of good things as well. And they're really going digital all the way. And the new CEO set a very clear direction and platform to do that. Um, and as you said, I mean, uh, and, and this question comes again and again, blockchain is, you know, a lot of questions around blockchain. I mean, David is just one of the many, many people that are probably in supply chain that are asking the same. Yeah, yeah, yesterday yes. I met the uh, CEO of a startup AI company, but with tremendous uh, background. And he's already deployed his AI device into banking. 
And he gave me an example yesterday that they went into a major bank, I'll leave out the specifics, and they had a whole team of, of incredibly talented experts and they had spent over a year trying to analyze a finance solution. And to demo his product, he plugged it into their database and once it was integrated into their database, four hours later, it, it solved the problem and identified $300 million of savings. Wow. So, you know, just being able to plug in an AI device into a database, whether it's financial, manufacturing, or logistics, is really going to be transformational. Yeah. And I mean, again, scale, speed, uh, capabilities, you know, over... It's just mind-blowing. And then look how the shipping industry is. So the shipping industry has already been ripped apart, forced into mergers, and we're not done with that. The next one will be freight forwarding. Yeah, I, I, would, I, would, I would tend to agree to that. Um, of course, uh, you know, we, uh, I won't touch upon this today, but we will need to also be with AI, uh, be very careful as humanity again. I mean, to the dangers of it, of course, as well. We don't want to end up in a Terminator movie kind of scenario, but... Definitely. I mean, the, why don't the, we tie the, that discussion at the end of this? Exactly. Because I think it's worth talking to. to ah, okay, cool. Um, but let, let, let's go back. So, thanks for the for the clarification of blockchain. Let's go back a little bit to the G20, right? Tell us, tell us more. I mean, I'm personally very interested. I think a lot of people, obviously, not a lot of us will ever have a chance to sit on a G20 meeting in the in a committee. What happened there? What are some of the topics? What are people discussing about? What are the world leaders thinking about? What you know? Give us some more details. It was really an amazing experience. I don't even know how I got pulled into it, frankly. I, I got nominated and uh, submitted uh, some forms, and then I, I was appointed to one of the committees. So there were five task forces made up of members from the 20 countries and, uh, and some, some beyond that. And our task force was employment and education, but it was quite wide, so it included, uh, as I said, supply chain. It included entrepreneurship uh, around that piece. Uh, and then these different five task forces uh, meet over 10 months uh, on a voluntary basis mm. uh, in Europe. And then we basically put together a policy paper with specific strategies and recommendations. Those We then meet for two days. We met... Uh, Chancellor Merkel, who was very impressive, um, and she was leading the discussions, right? I mean, she was she, she was chairing the whole G20 this year. It rotates, and then uh, Minister uh, Schwabel and others, and then basically these documents are presented to her. They synthesize it into a tighter document, and then she presents it to the G20 uh, countries, who then peel off and negotiate to form their final document. So it's, mm. it's just a really cool process to be part of. Mm. And again, you're dealing with all the different cultures from South Africa Absolutely. and China and Korea and the U.S. and England, France, Germany, Saudi Arabia, Argentina, Brazil, there, Argentina, Russia. Russia. Mm -hmm. So it was just a, a beautiful opportunity to connect cultures. But what we really looked at was... The impact of AI and robotics, it was just the driving theme. And uh, I, I'm speaking today on my own behalf, not on behalf of B20 Task Force, but we just see the speed of AI and robotics moving faster than most CEOs can, can realize or most political leaders can realize. And therefore, we need to change the whole thinking of business strategy because of the disruption and we need to seriously take a look at 
redefining the whole education process for the next generation. Yeah. We literally have to train people for jobs that don't exist yet. Yeah, and there's more training about, uh, I mean, I guess it, it boils down also to training more on mindset than on actually hard skills, because that will, I mean, that Absolutely. will change. And it's also a matter of a third element that needs to really, I mean, in my, and this is my personal opinion, needs to be looked at, and this is quite, again, a serious and we'll tie back at the end, is policies, and, you know, it's, it's government policy. That's, that's going to be incredibly important because, of course, a lot of jobs will be reshaped or disappear, and, and we'll need to see what we do about So that. we're already looking at 6 million jobs at risk just in transport in the United yeah. States alone. Yeah. So how do you protect people? How do you protect their dignity? Mm. How do you give them opportunities to have, have purpose and, and exciting jobs in the future? Uh, the human element becomes more important, actually. Mm. You know, even programming, uh, most programming will be automated within eight to ten years by AI. It'll be programming itself. So, so even programming only has a temporary window. And, and, and therefore, we really have to think of what are the human skill sets that allow adaptability. Uh, and then we seriously focused on the importance, more than ever, of entrepreneurship uh, of new thinking, uh, of, of collaborative teamwork instead of individual leadership styles, but collaborative team sharing mm -hmm. knowledge becomes much more important as a management style. And, uh, and, and then also enabling SMEs to connect and collaborate on a global platform. So it's just a fascinating experience, and I, I feel really privileged to have had a chance to be part of it. Mm. Super. No, thanks for, thanks for sharing more. Um, and let's talk, I mean, let's talk very pragmatic, very realistic now. You know, what, what, what do you see at the zero moment today? Some of the biggest challenges companies in Asia, let's talk about Asia for a moment, in Asia facing around their supply chains. I mean, what, what, what are they most struggling with? You know, we've talked a little bit about some elements, but, you know, uh, what do you see as the main uh, elements that they're struggling with to, to, to make that transition towards the future? Well, you know, we, we've seen in the past infrastructure was a differentiator. So when Singapore built Changi Airport and, mm. and, and the amazing port, or when Shanghai sets up uh, the biggest port in the world, or the airports, these become power hubs that, that give them advantage over other countries, right? Regardless of population, the infrastructure has driven that advantage within the Asia region. Yeah. Now we're, we're going beyond the physical infrastructure to the technological infrastructure and architecture. So now the critical thing is like Singapore's Smart City Initiative from the Prime Minister, right? And China is launching this as well. Uh, and, and that is how to use technology to integrate all the different activities across uh, cities and countries. So. The countries that are now moving into that space are going to have a significant advantage in logistics and supply chain as well. Mm. Uh, it's just reality. And, and, and so it can create further gaps from the countries that are slow building infrastructure and, and then are extra far behind in seeing the technological breakout. It, it could further differentiate the power hubs uh, across Asia. Probably will, yeah. And then, and then the second stage is, is you know, we needed a TPP, right? Frankly, the integration of the main Asian countries with the U.S., Mexico, Canada, Chile into this uh, integrated trading architecture and the same with, with North America and Europe, 
this, these kinds of advanced rules enable mm. a faster movement and, and efficiency in the supply chain. And uh, the fact that that broke down and then you see Brexit, these are reminders that, that with all the exciting changes that, that will pull the uh, supply chain or what I would call dynamic value networks forward, we're going to have increased political risk. Yeah. And that political risk, most leaders in our industry aren't prepared for it. So whether it's the South China Sea disputes or the issue in North Korea suddenly diverting cargo movements, um, those kinds of political risks are going are gonna to happen, I think, a bit more in Asia than in the past. And, and, and while we're transforming technologically and with infrastructure, we also have to build more contingencies for political risk. And, and as Maersk and others just learned, uh, you know, no, look, I mean, Hanjin caught a lot of people by surprise. The, so, I mean, it's, it's, uh, yes, but, but what I was saying is, is Maersk, which is, is such a well-run company, uh, they had the cyber attack. Uh, so, so the one thing that we're not prepared for is a dramatic increase of lethal cyber attacks. Yeah. And, and I, I think that's going to be the Achilles heel that we really have to uh, build a much stronger safety net around to enable this uh, breakout with technology. Yeah. And, and I think in many ways, you know, uh, Asia will be a leader in a lot of this breakout technology. Uh, the biggest consumer market in the world, you know, is, is going to really give Asia chances to experiment and evolve new models in logistics. But at the same time, we just need to be aware of some of these breakout things. And, and, you know, in our industry, even the old days, uh, no matter how well we think we're doing, we're always going to get hit by surprises. When I, when I was in, in the shipping side, we had a Kobe earthquake, and none of our ships could go through the Kobe port. And we had to reroute ships with 12 hours notice with no place to go. Um, how do you deal with that? I, I had a charter ship once that it was a charter ship arm, arm's length, but for a major chemical client, and it sank near the Hong Kong uh, Harbor area. Sink. It sank. Wow. And then how do, how do you deal with that? It, 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 it's, a, it's a risk, potential chemicals. Fortunately, it was salvaged, and, and the damage was there. In India, we worked with uh, a major client in retail. We, we took over their warehouse on a 4PL model, and then the monsoon hit, and the warehouse flooded, and it was you know three Disaster. meters high. So the traditional challenges are always going to be there in our industry. Yeah, um, but right. now we're going to have these cyber challenges and the political risk a little bit more, and and I think with all the exciting positive things coming, we're going to have to also build a more safety architecture in the process. Yeah, and plan plan B's basically, and uh, I mean Maersk uh, cost them I think I was reading three hundred million dollars, and I mean it's a it's a pretty hefty bill, um, and 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 definitely I mean you're absolutely right. We're going to see more and more of that. I mean, cybersecurity is another hot topic. But I'm always an optimist long term. So I, I think, and I again, think human chain and maybe I mean is going to. Well, I think human talent is so amazing, and with the technology, I think you know we'll turn these challenges into new opportunities. Ultimately, yeah. yeah. Um, last question regarding the industry. What advice again from from David? We were very good question. What advice to tech startups in the supply chain space would you give? 
where do you see an innovation deficit or not enough, uh, yeah, not enough startups addressing that particular need? Pick one. Well, I'm going to answer it a little differently because one of the challenges I see in Asia is too many startups are, are literally taking things that are already being done in the U.S. side or Europe, but especially Silicon Valley, and they're basically replicating it here. And, 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 and so, you know, you're taking something that already exists, but you're replicating it out here as a, quote, startup, and you're getting capital and you're building it. And what is the real agenda of that? The real agenda is you're hoping the big U.S. or European company is going to buy you out later, right? Or even within Asia now, you know, a, a Tencent or an Alibaba is going to buy you over at some point. So is that really startup entrepreneurship? It's Singaporeans, it's a kiasu mm -hmm. entrepreneurship, right? So what we really you know, need, to, need to, to do is create a much more dynamic entrepreneurial culture. So uh, I meet a lot of interesting startups from fintech, medtech, in the logistics space especially. And the first thing I'm looking at is, are you different? Are you creative? Are, are you building something that's trying to find a unique solution that you can test and scale with case studies and then you have real value? Or are you doing something that already exists? So, so it's very easy on Google to validate, are you doing something that already exists? Absolutely. So Absolutely. For, first, I want to see in our, in our logistics supply chain space, which was to your question, I want to see the real entrepreneurs who are thinking about new solutions, new radical breakthroughs. You know, we have, you know, one startup I'm working with, they have EPOD. So wherever you deliver in outer areas, there's a validation system, electronic purchase order delivery, right? And then they're integrating different trucks with live visibility into uh, full dashboards but you can do it on your phone in four different languages. So these are cool things that, that are evolving within Asia. And, and then they're tested with some major customers and then they have scalability. Um, you know, Zvi from Israel uh, came out to Asia and, and created a company looking at transparency of shipping rates. So I, I, I still like to find those companies and I know the Singapore government and other countries in, in Asia are also trying to create a bigger ecosystem that will inspire the more radical entrepreneurs who can really make an impact in technology. The real innovation, actually, not just copycats. So I mean, that's the most important. We need copycat. I mean, it's not bad to be a copycat necessarily. I mean, it's obviously people that I mean, it's uh, Lazada, and I mean, it's not a new idea, and we need them. But I mean, you. So, so what they right do? Here. What they do is they build a footprint in a copying mode. They mm -hmm. differentiate with some new pieces around it, yeah. and then when they're acquired later, it allows for faster traction. But you know. Here's, here's an example. What did Amazon do in February of 2016, I believe? They filed a patent for 3D printing trucks. Mm. And they're already testing them. They're already deploying them. And what they do is they don't go to a warehouse. They load with chemicals. And then they figure it's 30 minutes to deliver these toys to a certain house. And therefore, it, it's 28 minutes the production process. And then they start 3D printing in the truck the actual item, and then it's done two minutes before they arrive. Yeah. So that is a really radical solution. I think UPS tested something like that as well. It's, it's testing something like that. Yeah, so, 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 I mean, these are the things. Even here locally, Robert Yap is using drones now to do his inventory stock takes in his new supply chain city warehouse. Wow. 
right? I didn't know that. So the drones are flying through and they're actually counting inventory. And I remember what we used to go through planning the labor and shutting down the whole warehouse and doing the stock take for major customers. This is being done by drones now. So, so, so we're really looking for the technology that can be applied in different ways. Mm. Um, and then basically the most important thing, having done seven startups myself and been involved with two IPOs, is we need to build case studies. Something Victor Fong taught me as, as a mentor is when you start a new business, build case studies. Get a few clients, test the technology, prove that it works, then scale and as you scale, then more investment capital will come on board and then you can, you can break out with many more customers. Yeah. So don't mm -hmm. go too wide. Go deep, deep with a few customers, deep with, with a few markets because each market has different political and economic and regulatory issues. Just go deep in a few places, refine the technology, prove that it works. Then capital will come to you, and then you can really scale and break out. So I think yeah. that's a, a general rule for everyone. Super. But did uh, I answer your question? I think it, it, it's a it's a very good it's a very good point, and it's a very good sharing. And I mean, I I, I think it does. Uh, this is the end of part one. Stay tuned for part two, where we talk more about recruitment, talent, and skills gaps.